Today's special on-location episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. That's our presenting sponsor since 1947. SeatGeek spent Super Bowl week helping football fans find the best Super Bowl seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed with their revolutionary grading system and a team of ticket concierge experts that are a phone away with free advice, a phone call away with a free advice. Download the SeatGeek app today. Get ready for the rest of the NBA, NHL seasons, college hoops, music, so much more, or go right to SeatGeek.com. We are also brought to you by the Ringer NBA Show. That's our NBA podcast hosted by Chris Vernon, Kevin O'Connor, Chris Ryan, Chase Surround, or even me sometimes. We're ramping it up now that the NFL is done. Subscribe to the Ringer NBA Show and our other podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, or wherever else you get podcasts. And we are brought to you by TheRinger.com. Go there and check out all of our written audio and video content from Super Bowl 51. I'm trying to get something done for Friday. We'll see. I got strep throat. It killed me. It ruined my brain. I'm just putting my brain back together. But fortunately, we'll be able to have my brain for this podcast because at least it's working for that. Steve Kerr coming up right after this. Here we go. Once upon a time, I had a podcast on ESPN. Steve Kerr was a media member. <laughs> used to come on all the time. Yeah. We used to shoot the shit about hoops. I remember we did a pod once where you, you promised me nobody would ever win 73 games. I did, didn't I? You said Michael's will to win. Yeah. It was just never happening again. There was 12 games a year yeah. that he just won by himself. True. You'd never see it again. And then years later, I'm not an ESPN anymore, and you coached a 73-win <laughs> team. You won a title. Now we're in a conference room in in, uh, in the Oakland. In Oakland. Oakland. Secret location in Oakland. Yeah. How are you feeling about the team? It's been quite a year. It's uh, year well, three for you. First of all, I'm going to guarantee you that nobody ever wins 74 games in the <laughs> okay. NBA. Ever. There's no way. <laughs> I stand by that one. If I was wrong the first time, there's no way I'm wrong this time. That That's... Uh, yeah. That, well, can you believe you won 73? No. I mean, there no. was... How many games did you guys pull out of your ass? Like eight? At least five, you know. Yeah. And I think about this year, like we have a better point differential this year. We're blowing more teams out, but we've lost all three overtime games. Uh, we're zero and three in overtime, I think. Yeah. So we are, as we speak, uh, forty-three and eight. A year ago, I think we had four losses at this time. Wow. And better, we have better point differential this year. Um, I would say the biggest thing is um, early in the season we didn't have the continuity that we had last year. Right. Um, well, you added one of the 22 best players yeah, of all time. Yeah. Just kind of threw him in there. We did, which uh, <laughs> was an incredible blessing now. But we also uh, lost seven guys from last year's team. So we overhauled the, you know half of the roster. So the continuity wasn't there at the beginning of the year. It's really growing now. Plus, you um, guys were evil. We were, yeah. To be we evil were. has to be tough, right? Yeah, to just be yeah. like, man. Yeah, we, we just stand for all the wrong things. We're Darth Vader now. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of a different role for us, you know? Yeah. I mean, the last couple of years, we were sort of the darlings. Everybody loved Steph Curry. And then, yeah. So then we get uh, we get KD, and now we're the villains. So it's way I it thought goes. you handled it, not to kiss your ass. I thought you handled it really well because you addressed it immediately. You kept joking about it. You kept joking about how you're the villains now. You're Darth Vader. Like, and you kind of diffused it, I felt like. Yeah. Because I think in the wrong hands, that might have gone the wrong way. And you, and teams get uptight, and you saw it happen. You were doing TNT, the first Miami LeBron yeah, year, yeah. 
Yeah. I thought it really affected those guys and I thought it affected yeah. their whole season. Yeah, I thought so too. And, and, you know, our team's nature is to be very free and loose and happy go lucky. And, and so we just thought diffusing it with humor was the best way to go. We had t-shirts made up that, you know, super villains t-shirt, <laughs> right. you know, and Steph picked up on it. He had a birthday party for his daughter at his house and there was big super villains, uh, sign made out of balloons. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's just something that, is part of the narrative. Yeah, I think you, you realize after you've been in the NBA uh, for a long time that every year there's just different stories, different themes, and they don't have to make sense, but people are going to go with it, and it shouldn't really bother you. You know, it's just, it's all... It's all part of it. You just you just roll with it, and the main thing is just to just to get you know come to practice and try to get better and have fun and whatever people are going to say, they're going to say. You uh, and you were in the media, which helps. You know how the games go. I know how the game goes. It's yeah. boring. Yeah, you gotta come yeah. up with a new thing every time. Let's go backwards though, because you you and I have been friends for a while, and you had a choice. You're ready to coach for a while. You had a choice basically between the Knicks and the Warriors and you battled and you talked to every single person you've ever met in your life <laughs> to try to figure that decision right, out. Right, right. Maybe twice, maybe three times. Yeah. And you end up here and it looks like a magnificent decision. Yeah. And then you have a great fairy tale season. And you guys win the title. But during the finals your back starts to bother you. And now physically you're falling apart, even as your team's winning the title. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, what do you remember that that, that last week? Because you were like in real pain. Which which last week? The, the last, last week, week of the finals. You guys are winning the title, but you're in real pain. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of when my back started to, to ache. And and uh, but that was uh, that was such a magical season um, and and a magical finish. And um, you know to to win the title. Um, in, in my first year coach, I mean, I hadn't imagined, I, I, I knew the talent was really good and I thought, all right, we can take the next step. You know, the team had lost in the first round the year before to the Clippers yep. and, and I thought, all right, we can take the next step. We can get better. They were right there against the Clippers. I went to that game Set, seven. Game it was seven. Tight. It was a very important game for five them. Five point lead for yeah. the Warriors with a couple minutes to go. And so I knew this team had uh, a lot of potential and I thought, all right, we can, we can take the next step, you know, get to the conference semis, maybe, maybe even get to the conference finals, you know, and, and, um, over the next few years, I think we'll have a chance to get really good, but it happened right away. And I, and I think, um, I think the team, the foundation was there. That was the main thing. I mean, yeah. when I came on board, the team was already great defensively. Uh, they had been, uh, the fourth ranked defense in the league the year before. And, um, so I saw it right away. There was continuity. The guys liked each other. There was good chemistry. And uh, the, the foundation had already been built defensively. The trading for Bogut, I think Mark Jackson had the right approach in terms of let's, let's make this a defensive-minded team. The Warriors, think about it, for 20 years, it was just try to outscore everybody. Yeah. Um, you know, games were wildly entertaining. But, you know, to win, you have to defend. And, and that's when I realized we could be pretty good, when, when I saw just how good our defense was right away. And then the whole thing was just developing our offense and getting more movement, getting more, um, more pace and more ball movement, more flow. And those are the things we really worked on and that we've gotten better with. And you had put just insane amounts of times, not just thinking what kind of offense you run, but you were like banking out-of-bounds plays. <laughs> You're preparing for this like it was like an yeah. invasion. I, I, How many I, well, out of bounds plays did you have? Like three <laughs> hundred? No, definitely not. No, maybe maybe fifty of them. But fifty. I, Brad but Stevens I, has three hundred. Yeah, yeah. Step well, it up. Brad's a master with that stuff. <laughs> he really, he's amazing. But uh, no, I, I think um, my whole approach, my last like two years at TNT, 
uh, as I was preparing for coaching was just to talk to every coach that I could, pick their brains. Jeff Van Gundy was a big help. Um, and I watched League Pass every night anyway because that's what I love to do, and I was yeah. preparing for my job. And every time I saw a play I liked, I would just put it in a video library, and and um, wow, that was my so preparation. I could tell well, I had somebody do that for me. <laughs> I'd send an email to my buddy who uh, who ended up coming aboard with us here with the Warriors, and yeah. I'd say, hey, uh, you know, four twenty three of the first quarter, Clippers play versus Boston, and he'd you know he'd put it in the library. I'm not. But you still laugh from Brad Stevens. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I've he's stolen. one of the masters. He's great. He's great. So that that 2015. You know, luck plays a big part of this, and you get lucky. The Clippers knock off the yeah. Spurs. I think the Spurs would have been a tough one. Mm-hmm. And then Josh Smith gets unconscious right, right as they're about to get knocked out of the Clippers series. I think you would have beaten the Clippers. That's a that's a tough series though, going against Blake and those sure. guys. Sure. Then you go get to the finals. Just everything goes perfectly, and then at some point your back goes out. <laughs> it gets worse. Yeah. You rupture this playing golf. Yeah. yeah. You get the surgery, and then. At what point did you think, oh, my God, I I actually might not be able to coach? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't want to go too much into detail on this, but I will just say to anybody out there who's having back problems, do not get surgery. Yeah. It really is. I mean, it, it can be successful. Be the last resort of all it time. It should be the last yeah. resort. And, you know, you got to rely on Mother Nature and, you know, just rehab. And, um, you know, I went to one of the top back specialists in the world, and it was a, supposedly a simple you know, microdiscectomy. It's the simplest surgery they do. It wasn't like a fusion or anything like that. And and um, what was supposed to be a simple procedure, one that I've got half a dozen friends who've all had and who yeah. it's gone really well for. It uh, it did not go well for me. And uh, so it was a it was a tough tough road last year. Um, just a couple weeks after surgery, you know, f- starting to feel headaches and, and neck pain and dizziness. It was bizarre. And um, and that led to me missing half the season. Yeah. Uh, and then I was able to come back. And fortunately, you know, I'm doing better. And, and uh, but it's, you know, I'm still still in some pain. And it's, it's no fun, you know, getting old and feeling pain all the time. Well, you were a pretty it's, athletic it's, guy still, too. I mean, yeah, not just that yeah. you played, but you, used to, you surfed and played golf yeah, all that stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, and, you know, worked work out every day. I still work out every day, but I've been limited in what I can do. And that's that's hard. You know, at 51, I should just be entering my my golfing uh, peak M- MMA you know? do some maybe, maybe, right. the cage. Yeah, maybe that too. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> but I'm all right. And, and I, you know, I can't complain. I got an unbelievable gig. I love living in the Bay area. Uh, our players and our staff are so awesome to work with. This is an amazing um, group of people to be yeah. with and to work with every day. It's awesome. How involved were you when they, that first half of the season, even though you couldn't coach, and the team's playing so well, yeah. and you're not feeling good. Like, are you just sending emails? Are you on the phone? Are you texting? Uh, what I are you didn't doing? travel with the team. I would talk to Luke Weldon every day. Yeah. Um, I would talk to players. I would text players if I saw stuff. And then at home, I was coming to practices every yeah. day. And so I was taking part in practices. And, and so I was involved, um, and the players knew I was there. Um, and Luke was just amazing, just an unbelievable assistant and great friend. And, uh, and so, you know, it all worked out. I mean, I came back halfway through the year and, and, um, you know, we really, last year, we really just kind of picked up where we left off after winning the title. The whole thing was so smooth right from the start. We had basically the whole roster back. And, uh, so remember for for my book, I asked you, I had a whole chapter about after a team wins a title, what happens to them? Yeah. 
and you know the disease of more versus the fu edge right right. and you played on that 97 bulls team that came back the next year and still had the edge yeah and you were basically saying the reason we had the edge was because michael was a complete maniac and so what made this that warriors after the title team was it because everybody was kind of discounting it because the think, injuries on Cleveland, like what was the reason? I think the uh, the the uh, disease of Moore was not much of a factor for us. I yeah. think we naturally have a lot of uh, really team oriented guys who loved winning, loved playing together, and so what really kicked in was the continuity and the confidence from winning the title. So we came out just thinking. Nobody can touch us. We just won the whole thing, and and we got everybody back. We're going to be even better. And we're better, yeah. And we were better, but we, you know, we couldn't we couldn't uh, finish it out, obviously. And and uh, you talked about all the things that went right for us the year before, which is dead on. Last year, uh, things kind of went wrong in a lot of ways. Steph got hurt the very first playoff game. Yeah, uh, missed the first I think five or six playoff games that we played, um, and then. Uh, or he was in and out, I think. Uh, he came back during the first round, but then missed a couple more. And it was a really set up for, as a tough run. And then, of course, in the finals, uh, Boga gets hurt, you know, and Draymond gets suspended. And I'm not, I'm not using this as an excuse. I'm just it's, saying it's all legit. Every year, it's I'm stuff nodding. like this happens, you know. And and for us, the year before, you know, it, it things went right. Last year, things kind of went wrong, and you you got to be able to play through that and find a way. And we just weren't quite able to do that. And and Cleveland was. They were fantastic, and they deserved to win. I think I think every great team has, a, has like, a window, right? You got, like, maybe mm-hmm. three years, four years, yeah. five years. Like, for the Celtics with KG and those guys, it was a three-year run. Right. And then they were able to kind of squeeze two more years two out more of it. But it was really yeah. three. Uh-huh. And they should have won two titles in the three years. KG got hurt in 09. That was a killer. 2010, Perkins gets hurt in game six. So they end up with one out of three. Yeah. I think with you guys, and I don't know what Durant does to this window, and it might, you know, it might be seven, eight years. Yeah. Who knows? But you figure like the over under was probably one and a half to win a ti- to win titles these last without, two years without KD. You mean? Or like, I'm saying these last oh, two. the last two, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you no, easily could have won say two this, before before the first title. We were not considered a championship. So, if you're talking about, about odds, like in Vegas, I don't think anybody expected us to win the first one. But if you, you know just look expected? at it in retrospect, this like, guy yeah. right here, oh, okay. I had a little there wager you. on there you guys. <laughs> did you? <laughs> I really did. Really nice. Yeah. What were the odds? Do you remember? I, we bet on we, when it was thirty to one, yeah, and it was. I was nice. like, I like this Steve Kerr guy. Yeah, he learned he, from the tutelage of Popovich <laughs> yeah. and Phil Jackson. And and by the way, the Steph Curry guy is not bad either. I know. Well, I was going to ask you about uh, when you realized that there was some. You know, he's not MJ. Obviously, yeah. nobody's MJ, but except for Tom Brady. But <laughs> yeah. I want to talk to you about that. Yeah. But uh, when did you realize Steph was at, there's something different. Like magic. Some, I you mean, saw, not Magic you Johnson. Saw some, like there's something magical. There's an yeah. MJ, yeah, or yeah, Magic yeah. Johnson or any of those guys. There's a piece of something in him that yeah, reminds yeah, yeah. you of guys you yeah. played with, Duncan. Well, uh, yeah, and, and I would not equate any of the skill set to those no. guys. But the, whatever it is, whatever, you know, quote, unquote, it is, he's got it, right? And you can see it. You can Did you see, see it. it from the day one that season, or no. was there a moment during the season when it started to pop uh, out? I think uh, I think it took a month or so. Yeah, you know, we, um, he was still pretty wild in, in training camp. Uh, we started out five and zero, and we were averaging twenty two turnovers a game at five and zero. Right, and it was like this is not going to work. This is not sustainable. And I think we really had to go through. Um, 
an understanding of how this was going to work. We lost our next two games. The Spurs blew us out. Um, I think we had like 24 turnovers and shot at home. At 24 turnovers, we shot like 54%, and we lost by 12 points. And it was the easiest thing for me to do to walk into the practice facility the next day and hold up the box score go, we shot 54% at home yeah. and lost by 12 points. Got Basically got crushed. That's not good. There's one, one number here that has to change into his turnovers. And, and that was once Steph figured out that he had to take care of the ball, that you know three turnovers is fine, six is not. Right. Those those just that mentality when that changed and he started getting super efficient rather than just explosive, then our team changed. And then the other thing that really changed us was um, Draymond Green. You know, we we came into the the lineup. He didn't even we didn't think he would start. We thought David Lee would start. Yeah. David had an amazing training camp, was doing great, got hurt with a hamstring injury and missed the first month of the season. We were so good. I went to David before he came back. I said, you know, this is, this probably isn't fair, but you're not getting your starting job back. We're this is how we're going to play. Draymond is too good for us. We're right where we need to be, and you're going to have to come off the bench. And to David's credit, he accepted the the bench role. That could have gone bad. It could have. Yeah. Could've, but he hung in there, and he had a big role in the finals. Uh, had a, a couple great games against Cleveland, and it all worked out. And then, of course, the other thing was Andre Iguodala taking a seat on the bench willingly. After starting every game of his entire career, well, so you and tapped into big. you tapped into two major chemistry things there, because you asked David Lee to basically give up his job, and you asked Iguodala to come off the bench mm-hmm. when he's making twelve, thirteen million dollars right. a year. Do you think because of who you are and because you played and you won titles with San Antonio and Chicago, did that give you more leeway to do that than the average coach, or are those just good guys, or both? Uh, I would say it's mostly that they're good guys. I think a lot of it was that Andre, it came at the right time of his career. Like if yeah. I had gone to him in his fifth year, uh, he would have been like, you know, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, why would I, you know, but you're in your 10th year, you've seen it all, you've made a ton of money. I think Andre was at the right time of his career to do it. He's a great guy. He's a great team guy. He wants to play the right way. And he's I probably think, smart too, right? He's like, oh, that's 26 minutes a game. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, maybe extend his <laughs> Let's career. Let's do it, yeah. Uh, and he was a Bulls fan growing up. Yeah. He grew up in Illinois and, and uh, loved the Bulls. And, and um, I think he respected the fact that I was on those teams and that I had a firsthand knowledge of how all that all those dynamics worked for the, the Bulls teams and the depth that we had and the importance of every guy. Did so, he remember your vicious feud with John Stockton? I don't think one he of did, the most yeah. vicious feuds in NBA history. <laughs> you guys know about the John Stockton Steve Kerr feud? If Tate and Tommy are, oh my God, you guys were like two pit bulls. Yeah, we two two. I texted you once one summer. I was like, what did you Stockton? Did you guys date the same girl in high school or something? What happened with this? Uh, yeah, he was uh, he was such a great player and guarding him for. Seven games, six games, two years in a row in the finals, uh, and he was dirty. I mean, he was yeah. he was you know in a good way. Like you, you wanted to be his teammate, but but not as opponent. Not as opponent. He was he, definitely dirty. The Utah fans get mad when I wrote that in my book. I'm like, sorry, the tape doesn't he lie. Was, he was. He tripped and, people and, on picks, and, 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 and I say it with perfect respect. Yeah, you know, I like I like guys who are going to try to get away with everything they can. You yeah. know, I want my players to do that. Um, he was an unbelievable screen setter. He would like kind of trip you, you know, like yeah. when you're bringing the ball up the floor without making it look like it and little things like he, he was an unbelievable cutter he yeah. would like, he'd throw a post feed and then grab your arm. Like you, you know, you're defending the play. He'd grab your arm as he cut past you 
to get your momentum going the other way. And then next thing you know, he's laying the ball in. You're looking at the ref like, he grabbed my arm. So, so much respect, right? Like, he, he was sharp. He was one of the smartest players ever. But yeah, when you play against that time and time again, you get, you know, you get a little frustrated. Now you fast forward to last year's finals and guys are just body-blowing Steph. Yeah. I mean, that the, it got so physical. And it was smart. And it was exactly what the Clippers did to him. Chris yeah. Paul was yeah. the first guy that I really saw just say, I'm going to commit 40 fouls on him. And they're not, and if they don't call him right away, I'm just going to keep fouling him. Yeah. And then you saw that happen during the playoffs. And by the time we get to the finals, like I really thought Steph was, you know, I know he's hurt too, but I really thought he was banged up. I thought he seems he seems bigger this year. It seems like he's a little bigger. Yeah, I I, put on some muscle. I thought it was more uh, the 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 fact that he was banged up than the physical play. The physical play you have to expect in the playoffs. Yeah. that's just the way it's always going to be. If you can't possibly call every foul right. in the playoffs, or the game would never get started, and there, it's so much more intense. We're doing the same thing. By by the way, we're being physical defensively. We're trying to grab and hold when you can't, when we can. Uh, but we happen to play a lot more off the ball than most teams. Um, yeah. In fact, we're dead last in the league in number of pick and rolls. We have been. We've been like. 28th, 29th, 30th the last three years. We play a lot more screen away, pin away. So the, so what people complain about with us is our screening. You know, our, they, they complain a lot with Bogut. They complain a lot with, with Zaza. Uh, but most teams run on-ball screen and roll, and so the away-from-the-ball holding isn't really a problem because everyone's just spotting up. But we what do you are call those constant th- motion. What do you call those things where, like, I run toward you and then I do the quick five-step start and I'm getting the ball? It's almost like a... Like it's like a slip. A, yeah, is that the slip? You slip. guys, you guys have mastered that this year in ways that I don't. It's it's kind of unstoppable. It's not really a pick and roll. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's kind of a fake pick and roll. Yeah, um, you know, so much. There's so much switching now right. in the NBA, and and we do a ton of it ourselves. And that's the trend. You get uh, you know a bunch of guys who are six seven. Yeah, and strong, and they can all guard all five positions. A uh, bunch of Draymond Greens, Andre Iguodala's. Um, if you can do that then switching becomes a really uh, difficult defense to attack because, you know, every offense is designed to create an advantage for penetration, you know, um, turning the corner, getting the ball into the paint. But every time you switch, if you do it well, there's nowhere to go. And and the guy has to go one-on-one. And so we're seeing more and more of that. And so, you know, you're seeing lots of teams um, set screens and slip screen. You're trying to deceive the defense and, and see if you can create an opening, th- rather th- through a screen, through through a slip slip of a screen. Well, it seems like you guys have four different variations off of whatever might happen, and it also helps when you have three of the best ten shooters in the history of the league, <laughs> you think? including the best one. Yeah, uh, you have you have like two legitimate freaks on your team. Yeah, no, so we, that we, we we have we have a ton of talent. We know that we're so lucky. It's one of the reasons we've been so consistent because even on a bad night we have a chance to win because yeah. we have we're loaded with talent. So the key for us is tr- playing to our standard, trying to you know have a set of standards that we can uh, try to reach every night, and then uh, just understanding that um, we got a lot of playmakers. The guys who are really unsung on this team, who are critical, are Livingston, um, Iguodala. Um, you know, last year, um, you know, Bogut and and uh, and Harrison Barnes were were really amazing players, but didn't get a lot of respect. But it's been the depth of our um, weapons. You know, yeah. Ig- Iguodala and Livingston are tremendous passers. So if we can just move the ball four or five times, 
we almost always have a guy who's capable of making a play uh, at any time on the floor, and, and that's, uh, that's a real luxury to have. There was an article about Luke Walton recently about how, you know, he was there for the 86 outs with Walton and Bird, my favorite I saw it was a great article. The pay was really good. Yeah. And the funniest thing of it was he was talking about what an impact it had on him as a basketball fan. And my dad's seats were right where his, where the Walton seats were. And all we remember was this poor lady, the Walton's ex, and these kids just jumping on her. And it was, you never would have guessed that they were going to be anything other than in jail. Like they were just these three maniacs. And I'm thinking, and my dad was like, did you read that article? Luke Walton's claiming he was watching basketball. These kids are like jumping off the, uh, off the seats and stuff. But apparently there was some osmosis, but I like that because the way you guys play reminds me, I mean, the passing has been unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And the 96, 97, 98 Bulls, brilliant basketball team, but didn't pass like that. I mean, it was basically, it was a lot of one-on-one and I saw well, we had like um, We had the ultimate one-on-one player in Michael. Yeah. Phil's whole thing was uh, with the triangle was to, to create some flow and to get everybody involved and, and try some to... some sort of circle or movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get the motion and the flow that, that creates good shots. But um, yeah, we didn't... You know, we, we had um, the guys who could really make plays, obviously, were Pippen, Jordan, and then um, coach, you know, and we had an, a good passer with Longley in the low post, uh, and we just tried to move the ball, but ultimately, Michael would take over game after game, and, and what we have here is a little different. We don't have the, the physical monster like Michael or, or, uh, or LeBron, who's just going to literally take over a game with sheer force. Um, you we're actually doing do. His name's Kevin Durant. He's seven feet tall. But he does it with he's, skill. He's this gigantic. Is, no, he's phenomenal. But he does it with <laughs> skill. He doesn't do it with force. No, you're right. You're you know right. what I mean? Like, like I think LeBron does it like as a middle linebacker. LeBron's Michael, like, I'm going to the hole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm getting in the KD rim right now. KD does it with skill. Steph yeah. does it with skill. And it's incredible skill, but it's not like this overpowering physical strength that allows to do that. Westbrook's with the number one on that. Yeah, Westbrook's like, I've got the rebound. I'm going to be going to get a layup I'm now. I'm going. Yeah. yeah. Does anyone yeah. want to get in my way? I bet That's not. Right. Durant, you uh, you knew he was great. You went against him last year and he was spectacular in that yeah. playoff series. I mean, it was funny because when I, when I interviewed him, he, he actually, it seemed like he he, I mean, he takes everything a tiny bit personally, which is one in a good way. Yeah. I think that's what he does. He he's always says the chip. But I was like, I've never seen you play all around basketball like that. Yeah. He's like, I was doing that for eight years, and I was like, I, I'm not sure actually. I'm not, I the way he played on both ends yeah. and the way he protected the rim, and it's carried over, mm-hmm. and it's like he's been unleashed on this team as an all around everything. Now the question is, was that always there, and he just needed to find the right team has it been is it the right time in his career is it all yeah. those things what do you think it is uh it's a different team different personnel he's not asked to carry as much of the load offensively for obvious reasons we've got Steph and Clay and Draymond we got guys who um can can carry the team so he's playing fewer minutes I yeah. think he's averaging 34 for us he was probably at 38 uh, in OKC, I think he's at the time of his career too, where he's smarter and wiser. And I think um, you know our, we've we've pushed him. We we told him like for seven games last year, you were devastating against us. That you're this is what you're capable of. Yeah. And I th- I still think he has room for improvement. I I think he's he can be brilliant defensively, but he has his moments and he knows this, where he loses focus and lets his guard down. And we're just trying to get him to be as consistent as possible. So you had that game six against OKC, which 
is on the short list for me for great NBA games. I mean, yeah. just OKC is ready to go to the finals. Yeah, it's happening. Sure they, you guys are tired. You've played a ton of games over the two mm-hmm. years. And Clay just has an outer body experience, which you've had. You've had games like that. Not like that. He, well, had, you 40, were, he had 42 I was trying. I was trying to pump yeah, you up thanks, a little bit. Thanks, thanks. Yeah. I, mean, I had you games, did, like, did shoot I did games like that where, where I had 10. <laughs> hey, four for four, way to go. No, this, well, what about in 03, the, the Dallas Spurs game, 12, the playoff I had, game? I had 12 points. But you, I, I it was an outer, you were 38 years old. Yeah, it was an yeah. outer body that experience. That was my equivalent of clay. <laughs> it was just, it's a scale. It's relative yeah. to your ability. Uh, but that was my out-of-body experience. What Clay did was that was one of the most remarkable individual performances that anybody's ever had, considering the circumstances where we were. We were kind of dead in the water. You were done. Yeah. I mean, and and it was one of those games where they 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 were between twelve and fifteen, twelve, and it was like one more three or one more, and you were done. It was over. And it's not like we were running these great offensive sets to get him open shots. Yeah. We were trying everything. Their defense was devastating. Yeah. And he just started launching these you know, oh my God, no, 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 yes, 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 right. shots, you know. And once, you know, the thing with Clay, I mean, once he gets a couple of them to go, he can get it off at any time. He's so big and strong. He can get that shot off any time and from anywhere. And uh, Do you just not look at him? Because it seems like when he's having the outer body experience, everybody just stays away from him and he just kind of looks at the floor like he's, yeah, yeah. Like he's having this uh, – I don't know, like well, he, somebody invaded his body almost. Right, well, Clay is, I, I think uh, Clay and Steph, you, you don't want them thinking too much. You know, they, they are who they are because they're gunslingers. Yeah. And so you got to allow for some bad shots. you got to allow for some misses. And you got to just trust that, uh, you know, at some point uh, they're going to get going. And it, they, they almost always do. All I try to do as a coach is, you know, if they start taking really bad ones, just step in and remind them, hey, you got all these great teammates you know, if you don't have a good one, move it on, reposition, you'll get a better shot later in the possession. But I don't ever want to take away what makes them who they are. So um, you can't put a governor on them. You just kind of have to give a little advice here and there. Quick break to talk about Vistaprint. Did you know you could get 500 business cards from Vistaprint.com for just nine ninety nine when you enter my promo code BS at checkout? It is true. Vistaprint is all about supporting small business owners. They offer tons of custom products for home and office needs like business cards, postcards, flyers, banners, apparel, invitations, whatever level of design or order support you need. It's so simple to personalize your business cards and other marketing materials and get that professional look. Customize the text, colors, backsides, and more with thousands of industry-specific templates. Upload your logo to one of Vistaprint's designs. Upload your own design. You can even upgrade to a thicker stock or add a brilliant finish like metallic spot gloss or raised print. Right now, get 500 custom business cards for $9.99, which is a 50% savings off regular site pricing. Just visit vistaprint.com, design your custom business cards, and enter my code BS at checkout. That's code BS to get 500 custom business cards for only $9.99. Go to vistaprint.com today. And quick shout out to Channel 33. That's the Ringer's pop culture podcast feed with shows covering video games, celebrity culture, pro wrestling, the Oscars, and right now The Bachelor. It's also where you can find my Sports Movie Hall of Fame podcast series with Chris Ryan. Subscribe to all of our podcasts on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play. Back to Steve Kerr. Game 7, Cleveland. Have you watched that game since? I've watched it... uh... I three times. Three times. Mm-hmm. See, you're like me. So was it to torture or to learn from it? Uh, to learn from it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I watched it immediately. 20% torture? 
Uh, <laughs> do, I mean, do we like torture? I mean, I listen, I, I've watched a lot of Boston losses where did. I'm just like, I'm watching it, hoping a play is going to go yeah. different, knowing that it's not going to. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, yeah, there's, there's some of that. Um, but mainly, you know, it's, you're trying to learn and you're trying to get better. And, and what so would you I'm, do differently? Anything? I would, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you because, you, you know, it's, yeah. uh, there's some personnel stuff and lineup stuff that I could have done differently. And that's not fair to say, uh, say publicly, but I absolutely, you know, would have done some things differently. I think our players would tell you, you know, they, they probably would have done some things differently. Is it um, fair to say that one of the weird outcomes of that game was everybody, maybe it was the pressure of the moment. Maybe it was the pressure of the two seasons together, everything. All of a sudden, you were one on one in the last two minutes, yeah. basically. Yeah, and it was not what you guys mm-hmm. were. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether it's a fluke or I don't know. It's funny. I was talking to Bob Myers about this last night. It, it, almost every NBA game, when it's close, it devolves into a one on one battle. And yeah, it really does. I was I was watching uh, Cleveland and Washington last night, a game of the game of the year, phenomenal game, unbelievable. Um, and you know there was just there was some unbelievable one on one play. I think what happens is it gets harder to execute down the stretch, um, moving the ball because there's a lot of holding and grabbing away from the ball. Uh, just a fact. It's not, you know, anything other than that. And, uh, the game gets, the game gets tougher. Um, the tendency players, natural tendency is to get the ball to your best player and kind of move out of the way. And, you know, we want to get motion. We want to execute as best we can. We're at our best when the ball's moving three or four times, but there are games where it just doesn't happen. We can't get that. And, um, you try as a coach, and, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But you also, you know, get to certain matchups that you like. You know, you, you run something specifically more in a playoff game than you would in the regular season where you want to go after one guy. Yeah. And sometimes that means you, you, you start to get less ball movement as well. So you, it's kind of a fine balance. So here's my take. I'm so glad you went for the 73. I'm just of the mentality. I don't take that. Like the Pats, when they tried to go 19-0 and they ended up not getting it in the last two minutes, like if they get it, they're immortal, you know? And it's like you guys had already won the title. Now you had a chance to go back-to-back and do it. And I'm sure that season has to be so special for everybody, just the the grind-to-grind of that regular season. Mm -hmm. The crowd's coming an hour and a half before the games to watch Steph warm up and all the great moments. like. I just can't imagine you would you would as a do over be like oh, I wish we hadn't have done that. I wouldn't change anything. Um, and what I would tell you is is we never felt like we chased anything. You yeah. Know, we um, if you look at the minutes played, our guys, uh, our top guys, all were at thirty three, thirty four minutes. Nobody even averaged thirty five. Um, we had some injuries where guys were out. Uh, Andre missed a couple of weeks. Bogut missed time. Um, but the other guys were healthy. Yeah. And the only thing, you know, that the only point in the season was maybe in the last couple of weeks, like we had a back-to-back in San Antonio that was a brutal back-to-back. Like if it were this year or if we had, you know, if we weren't, you know, looking at 73, maybe I would have given them a night off, you know. But other than that. You know what it was? The Celtics. Brad Stevens really taught the league what to do against Adam, you guys. Adam, Adam, he came it in. All, it always comes back to Brad Celtics. Stevens. And that the was Celtics it. That was when you. it turned. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I think uh, you know a lot of people have have kind of used that narrative, like, well, they, maybe they shouldn't have chased. I think that's bullshit. And plus, I don't think we chased they, anything. I really it's, don't. It's not what sports is about. Like you well, know, if you hadn't won a title before, I can see it. But well, at that point, you're going for something different. No, we were. We were. And and. 
I think it's important to define chase, right? Like, yes, yeah. we wanted the record. Our guys wanted it, and they were going after it. But chasing it means you're getting out of your, your stride, right? We didn't get out of our stride. We didn't play anybody when they were banged up. Um, and the bottom line is um, we were right there. We're up 3-1 in yeah. the finals. Um, you know, if, if, if we win, you know, one of those games, nobody's – talking about you know the chase hurt us obviously but the results dictate that there's going to be the storyline and if that's the story then that's fine but we we don't we don't have any regrets about the way we approach the season that's for sure were you worried about them after because i mean you haven't had was i worried about who? just the team the psyche the, after the yeah Cleveland loss? after like what how that was going to play out over the summer and no no yeah um, didn't I seem like it um no i mean it's uh I don't know. Sports are weird, especially when you're on when you're on the inside, when you're coaching, when you're playing. There's less hysteria than there is as a fan, right? Than on the internet? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> than on message boards? Surprisingly, yes. What? Surprisingly, who knew? Who knew? <laughs> but uh, it's all it's all very matter of fact. And and one of the one of the biggest challenges as a professional athlete these days is to avoid all that hysteria because it becomes it can be self fulfilling. I would but, say it's a challenge for a coach. It is. It's a huge challenge. Oh, hey, Clay Thompson's getting traded to the Celtics. Like what? Where'd go. that come there from? It's some Yahoo on some local yeah. radio station yeah. says it, and it goes. So you got you got to be able to. Uh, have perspective you got to have balance you got to and and that's part of our job as coaches is to uh, to remind them that it's not the end of the world I mean it's you know yeah we wanted to win desperately we didn't win it didn't happen um it happened the year before like it's gonna you know we just want to keep giving ourselves a shot year after year and see what happens but put ourselves in the best position possible I don't think any of our players walked away from last year going God, we should have done this. We should have done that. My life's, you know, forever changed. I'm now, you know, it's like we lost a game. It sucks. You move on. You go home. You kiss your wife and your kids, and you, you know, you go play golf. Go do do something fun. You come back the next year. You give it another shot. You got to avoid all the hysteria that goes along with it. Plus, you knew Durant was coming. He told you like after That's game right. seven. He's like, actually, "Don't worry, guys." After, I, it was after game four. I, I got this. I By will the way, say that, that was I was kidding. That's no, not yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. tampering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will say this though, and you know me, I, I try not to get caught up in whatever the narrative du jour is. I, it, around Christmas, I did start to wonder about the Durant Curry thing, and I, I don't mm. say it was an issue. Yeah, but it did feel like Curry was trying so hard to let Durant have his moment offensively. Yeah. And you have these two guys like I'm re- I've been messing around redoing my pyramid just for fun. I-, I can't even believe how high Durant is. I mean, it's like it's only been nine years, I think, for him. But you think like, is he better than Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, all these guys? Like it's it's starting to be yeah. a conversation, yeah, right? Yeah. The guy averaged 30 a game when he was in his third year. But you see, you just have him and Curry in the same team. And the history of basketball says it's really hard when you have two unbelievable offensive right. players on one team how the give and take goes. And I think you saw it in December. Now it seems like you're in a better spot. We're in a great spot. Um, and I, and it's mostly Steph has, uh, has changed. Uh, KD has been really consistent all year long. So what did Curry change? He realized he could be aggressive and shoot 25 times and it wasn't going to affect KD. I think early in the season he felt like, man, I got I to gotta get this guy involved. I got to get him the ball. But what makes KD so uh, unique is that he doesn't need the ball. Yeah. Um, he doesn't even need... 
a volume of field goal attempts. He's had multiple games this year where he's had 12 shots and 25 points. It's incredible, his efficiency. Um, and his mentality, on top of that, he doesn't care. Uh, that, that He doesn't have to be the alpha. You know, he doesn't, yeah. have to, he doesn't have to get 20 shots. He doesn't care. I think Steph realized that to the point where our team even realized that when Steph – just is aggressive and is shooting his 30 footers in transition and going nuts that's when we are at our best kd not only appreciates it but enjoys it and feeds off of that yeah and you never worry about clay clay's gonna get his shots <laughs> up <laughs> alone. and so and i think i think you know and draymond has adapted really well to a slightly different role and I think Steph finally realized, oh, wait a second, I can still do all this, and all those guys are going to be fine, and our team has grown comfortable with it. And our defense has gotten better too, uh, which plays a role because now you get stops. Now Steph's more likely to get a transition three, and the house comes down. So I think those things together kind of happened at the same time, and, and we've, we've gotten a lot better over the last six weeks. You know so. what else helps? That you can have Kevin Durant or Stephen Curry on the floor for 48 minutes. <laughs> yeah, right. Just pick, and them <laughs> together separately. That's the it's really helpful yeah, to have it's, that. It's, a, it's amazing how much better you become mm. as a coach when you have – Really, really good players. How I don't know how do that have? works. What's that? How many kids do you have? I have three. Is Draymond harder than all three kids combined? <laughs> uh, he was last year. Yeah. Uh, he's easy this year. He's, he's easy this oh, year. man. Durant? Uh, Did Durant help? Why, why is he easier? I think a number of things. I think uh, Draymond is, first of all, somebody who is extremely motivated to get better. Yeah. And he talked over the summer about he wanted to take the next step as a player, as a person. And that meant kind of, you know, reining himself in. He talked yeah. about it publicly and he's done that. He's become um, much more of a partner in coaching this team this oh, year. That sounds helpful. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, the rest of the guys have all been that way for the last couple of years. Andre, Andre's a coach on the floor. Sean Livingston, very stoic and, and smart. And Draymond has always been the engine, but the emotional guy who could get a little out of control. And this year, but I mean, you did play on the jailblazers. So you've, you've seen emotion seen at its worst, seen that yeah. at its, at its worst level. What Draymond's a, really, a walk in the park. What a great experience. That was, that was awesome. <laughs> that might've been the most fun year I've ever had in the NBA, just to see the dysfunction. I, I'd never seen it anywhere. Why else. didn't you keep a journal? That would have been I the did. best book. Yeah. Anyone's you kept a journal. I think so. I think I've got it. That would be the best book, right? That would be the, the yeah. breaks of the game of this generation. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so man. you think Draymond's in a better place? Place. He's in a much better place. He's grown a lot. He's, sound, you sound very confident. It sounds like you like your team. Oh, I love our team, and you know it doesn't guarantee anything. But yeah, you know we uh, we have great chemistry. Would you say you were this confident in December? No, because I hadn't seen it yet. Yeah. You never know what you have until you see it. And um, but the combination of, of KD just fitting in so seamlessly, Steph sort of remembering who Steph he again, is, yeah. and Draymond's uh, maturity, and then I think adding. Zaza and David West has been quietly really important for us. They're both uh, really good, strong leaders. I think David in particular has been great for Draymond. Draymond has so much respect for David. Yeah. David could like run for office. Um, and actually, that's probably the wrong analogy. David probably wouldn't go into politics because of all the BS that's in politics. David is a tremendous human being, incredibly smart, genuinely wants to help people, 
So wait, he can't go into politics. Right, yeah, that's yeah, it. <laughs> he gotta go somewhere else. <laughs> he could be he could be like the greatest community leader. Um, he could do anything he wants. He is smart as a whip. He's tough. He's fair. He could be an incredible coach. Um, he's intellectual. He he follows uh, politics. He follows history. Um, he doesn't mince his words, but but he's not a blowhard. He's like really he listens. I mean, he's this guy has been fantastic for our team. I told you I didn't want to talk about politics because you have said a ton already, and I, I don't think <laughs> Maybe there's too much. Well, he probably. Um, but the one thing I did want to ask you about is just the NBA's position right now and how it's changed since you played, and how intelligent the mm. league is now yeah. and socially aware. And yeah. like you look at how sports has played into everything that's going on in this country the last couple of years. Yeah. I think by far the NBA and its players and its coaches and the stuff like things you and Popovich said and things Adam Silver has yeah. done. It's by far the best league for just being aware and caring and giving a shit. Yeah. And um, I don't want to use the word liberal, just I would say just educated and thoughtful. I'm glad you um, I'm glad you didn't use the word liberal. Yeah, because I don't, know, I don't think everyone's a, it takes on a connotation. Well, and also there's um, a lot of foreign players in the league, too. I, right. I, you know, people are come from all kinds of backgrounds. It's this melting pot yeah, of, of the world. And it, it has to me, it has nothing to do with being liberal or conservative. It has to do with being compassionate and fair. Yeah. And, and I think uh, Adam Silver has been amazing leading the charge in terms of promoting equality. We have such the perfect uh, demographic to do it. As you said, we've got over 100 foreign players from all over the world. Um, you know, we, we have this melting pot in this league. Uh, and the players have been great in terms of uh, community service over the years. Um, I see our guys doing a ton of stuff, just like players are doing all over the league, not just for promotional value and the camera, but genuinely good work. I mean, I, I've been with staff at hospitals um, without any media with, yeah. with kids, and you can't even believe the effect he has on these kids. And so I, I think the our league understands the power that we have. Our players understand the power, and they're using it to promote these things that are that are critical but right how now. do you explain the maturity of the players and the wherewithal that they have especially there's so many ways to get in trouble now with social media yeah it's and true it's just true. so many like imagine if they had had twitter in the mid 90s with, with all the guys that <laughs> were in the disaster. league back then yeah. i just don't understand why these guys are are so you know are what? so here's, thoughtful about yeah everything. here's what i would say that i think the times call for thoughtfulness, yeah. Um, for most of you're about fifty, right? What are you? How old are you? Forty-seven. Forty-seven. Jesus. Sorry. So yeah, I'm fifty-one. All right. <laughs> all right. So for me, you know, I my earliest memories, kind of from a social awareness standpoint, were the Vietnam uh, right. protests in the early '70s. It was a tail end of Vietnam. I remember like the you know the hippie generation, everybody complaining about war, anti-war protesters, and then we went into this basically like what a 30-year run of, of peace, yeah. right? Vietnam ends, and all the way up until the Iraq War, we basically have, you know, so there's the Cold War, but, you know, the, that ends when, when the Soviet Union breaks apart. We had this incredible era of peace, and, you know, the social media, I mean, uh, the, the uh, pop culture reflects that, right? Think about the music in the 80s, and, you know, the 70s music was, was all anti-war and drugs, and so we basically missed most of that until right now. And, and now you're seeing this change where people are rallying and protesting 
because there's a reason for it. Yeah. We don't have this peace and prosperity. We all of a, all of a sudden have this really dangerous, scary time in the world. And I think people see that. And so I think our players see that and feel it. And be, it's almost like there's a call to, to duty to, to speak up. And I think our players are responding. And I wonder if, it, you know, it's been, I would say, 15 years now where you've seen, to me, LeBron never gets enough credit for just how well he's handled himself. I agree. Guy's never been in trouble in his life. I love yeah. that he said that to Barkley. Mm-hmm. I thought he came off as a little sensitive, but I love that he said to Barkley, hey, man, I've never been in trouble. Right. All I've done is played hard, take care of my body, and represented every team yeah. I've had, and he's right. And I wonder if like you have enough veterans now, and those guys teach the next group, and then that group rises up, and now they're like Iguodala's age, and mm-hmm. now they're teaching the Durant group, and then the Durant, those guys are in their prime. Now they're with the Ian Clark group. Right. And this just becomes how the league goes. And these guys just passing it down. I think that's, uh, that's a good way to look at it. I think uh, our, our leaders within the league, you yeah. know, the, the best players, uh, the, the top coaches, um, you know, Adam Silver, there's this great leadership that's happened kind of organically from within as, as the league has grown in popularity and strength. And it's all tied together. I mean, the last 10 years has been a boon for the NBA. The, yeah. the product is great. Uh, the best players have been great. A lot of great storylines. And it just so happens you got a bunch of guys who are really good people who are in these uh, limelight roles where uh, people are watching, watching and listening. The product's great, and yet... I don't want to get to the point where teams are shooting 73s a game. Right, right. I just don't. Yeah. And I know the math makes sense, and I know we're in a math era and a win probability era and all this crap, but um, the Celtics have broken their own franchise record for threes in a game, I think, 10 different times already this year. And at some point, you know, you're going to go in a playoff series, and you'll probably play Houston at some point, right. and they're going to shoot 73s right. a game, right. trying to just game yeah. the math on you. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, does that mean the best team won, or is this just poker where a team right. kept just pushing their chips to the table, hoping they got lucky on, on the last card? I don't know. I don't, I don't know like if, this. I don't know if you saw this the other night, but the the Knicks nineteen eighty eight team was uh, honored at the Garden. The Patino team, yeah, the Patino team. They were called like the Bomb Squad or something, and it was great. You know, they had you know all the guys out there who were shooting threes: Mark Jackson and and Rod Strickland and Gerald Wilkins, and they all get the ovation. And I saw the stat the next day that Steph Curry last year made more threes than that entire team, <laughs> <laughs> and they were the Bomb Squad. Uh, so yeah, the game has changed so dramatically. Um, you had Clay and Steph together shooting like eighteen threes a game and making like eight and a half yeah yeah. which is like larry bird i think in 86 when i i would have sworn he made 700 threes and he made like 82 you know what's amazing is is i'm a i'm a i was a laker fan growing up yeah you were a celtics fan so you think about those iconic matchups tremendous basketball and every once in a while you'll see classic sports you can catch one of those games you watch the game you watch those games and it's so different the 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 circumference of the floor, like where all the players were, it was like this tiny circle that revolved that didn't really go outside the top of the key. Yeah. And you watch a game today, and the guys on the perimeter are spaced 10 to 12 feet further out. So back then it was post-ups. It was kind of constant movement and cutting and screening. And now it's high screen and roll with 
five three-point shooters spread around the floor. And, and, and so the fast breaks, too. The fast breaks now, they oh, just yeah, go to the corners. Yeah, you run to the, the three-point line. Yeah. And I, I had the same reaction. I watched one of those games, and it was like watching hockey when one of the teams has the power play. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. everybody's just crowding the net trying to get exactly. as close as possible. Exactly. Dennis Johnson's open from 18 feet. Nowadays, like that guy, he would be 28 feet yeah. away, right? Yeah, so defenses have had to become much more sophisticated. The rules have changed, too, which is a big yeah. deal. The old illegal defense rule was, was so much different. Um, what, does but, Jordan, what does Jordan do now? Does he shoot more threes? Probably Let's put would, him in probably. a time machine, and yeah. he comes in now? Yeah. He shoots like that, nine to, threes like, a game? To me, this is why, you know, when you hear like Barkley's argument that, you know, guys don't go into the post enough anymore or whatever, any of the old guys talking about in the old days, you know, yeah. we wouldn't do that. The fact that you can zone up the strong side now defensively before the ball is thrown into the post, you can basically discourage any any post up play. Right. But you just you double team before the guy even gets the ball. Well, it's tough to throw it in there. So now that means the other team's got to put three point shooters on the other side of the floor to space you out. So you can't do that. Um, so the, the, the game has changed. So I think Michael would would have shot a lot more threes. He would have practiced a lot more threes. And he would have adapted. Um, he also would have been fouled every play because now a hand check is a foul on the ball. So he yeah. would have probably had to run a lot more screen and roll and ISO stuff. But um, well, I think the different him, games. Totally I think him and Pippen both would have had over 10 rebounds a game. Because the one thing, one of the things I've noticed this year is just because there are no big guys out there anymore. Yeah. You know, Westbrook, rebound, yeah. A lot of long rebounds. Long rebounds yeah. on the threes. Yeah. A lot of, like, guards crashing on right. coming in. Right. And Westbrook... The triple double, you know, would be semi amazing if he got it, but I still think the way the game's played now, yeah, it's different. It's, it's just different. the guards. He's he's not going against Mikael and Parrish and these guys. My whole thing is, as a coach, I just want open shots. I don't keep it. Right. I don't keep track of how many threes we. I just want open shots. And if we if we have twenty straight open twos, I just want to take twenty twos. That's fine. That makes you. I'm happy. not into the math stuff. But I understand it, and we have great three-point shooters, and if we should space the floor and move and take a bunch of them, it makes perfect sense. I have a really important question for you. Here we go. Because the Super Bowl just happened. Yeah, I noticed. Did you Did you watch? I happened oh, to watch. Oh, really? Happened to, never gave up because I had Tom Brady on my team. So a lot of the stuff that came out of that game, especially from the teammates, were like, Tom wouldn't let us lose. I, we have Tom Brady on my team. No, no way I'm quitting. I just, you looked in his eye and it was a lot of like the Jordan stuff from 20 years yeah. ago. Did it remind you of the Jordan stuff? I didn't really think of it during the game, but I think uh, we absolutely had that exact feeling that Michael's on our team and we're going to win. It was that, he was that dominant. Um, and um, yeah, I saw some of the quotes from the Patriots guys. It sounds like they have the, the same level of uh, confidence in Brady. Well, right after the game, LeGarrette Bunt goes to Belichick and Brady and he's like, you're the best coach ever. And you, you're the best fucking player ever. <laughs> and I had a flashback because after the Utah game, when Jordan oh. had the layup, the yeah. steal, and then the yeah. last shot, you came up to him. I did. And you're like, you're the best fucking player ever. <laughs> and they have to bleep it on the ESPN Classic. I am LeGarrette Blunt. You're LeGarrette Blunt. Yes. He, he and and yet again, something. you guys are compared. <laughs> I love it. But it reminded me of the yeah. the thing. And it's just like. I don't know. I feel like that was his Utah moment. Yeah, yeah. I think there's that something happens with guys when they break through and win. Um, maybe not one time, but they win a couple times. They're in the they're in the spotlight. They they become much more comfortable 
in the clutch. Yeah. You know, once they've done it a couple of times. And I think that's where, and it's almost like, a, what do I have to lose? Right. House money, however you want to put it. And that's what I saw with Brady. Like he's, his legacy was sealed anyway. Yeah. Right? If that had been his first Super Bowl, I'm not sure he would have been able to get into the zone like he did, but you know, that's what, that's what is really elusive for a lot of great players. Can you get to the point where your talent and your mindset can blend together and you can eliminate all the hysteria from social media and the fans and the overwhelming nature of, of what you're doing. Can you eliminate all that stuff and just play and go back to like when you were a 10 year old kid where you just play for the beauty and the joy of it. That's what it's about. And when you see people do it at the very highest level, like Jordan did, like Brady did, it's like this, it's like this different level of consciousness that is so awesome to watch. Is it fair to say LeBron was 90% there, but not 100% last year? Like, I still feel like he has one more notch he can go. I know that's a tough question it's, for you Yeah, to I mean, I, I, I never really like to, to yeah, yeah, talk you're about going other, against him. other guys, but I have... I have As from, a basketball fan, can I say that I feel like he has one more notch left? You can just You, you can say whatever oh, I'll you say want. it. Yeah, I'll say, <laughs> I'll say whatever. <laughs> did, you, did you feel when you were going against him these last two years, was there... Is he just too different than Jordan as a player that it's hard for you to compare? Yeah, and, you know, even, even LeBron says, you know, that he's not Michael, and he's right. They're very, very different players um yeah the, the similarity is just like the, the ability to take over a game with sheer force athleticism know, athleticism yeah. um but I, I don't see the same style it's very very different um in terms of the way they attack and all that but um obviously you know, yeah you can't talk about LeBron. who's your favorite unicorn love porzingis you know he's uh I just I just got through saying uh, you know I don't like to talk about other players but no, I, you know, I think it's fair. different You're right this is just a, yeah this as is a Steve fan. the fan yeah yeah he's uh, I love watching him I mean just the the length the sheer length combined with shooting ability um, but you're seeing you know you're seeing more and more of these guys now because of the way the game has changed and the way players have changed. Even like Towns, you know, Towns out there shooting threes. He can post right. up. I was watching JaVale McGee shoot threes at yeah. your shoot around yeah. and making them. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, no, there's, I think there's this whole generation of players, even at the college level, that, you know, these seven foot guys who 20 years ago would have been told by their coaches, go down to the block and practice your jump hook. They're now out practicing their dribbling and their shooting. So they're way more skilled. Yeah. Um, but in general, they're also less proficient in the low post. So that's one of the reasons, too, that the game has spread out so much. It's one thing I like about Al Horford, who I think you would have loved to coach. Just smart guy, right place, right spot all the time. But occasionally he'll go down and he'll do a nice little jump hook in somebody's face yeah, from five yeah, feet. You don't see it anymore. You know, you it's don't, like, the, you don't it's like it this lost often. art. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Wait, it's, last thing I got to ask you about yeah. the Chargers. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about it. What a blow. I'm Did very, you see I, it coming? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've lived in San Diego the last 12 years. That's been our family home. Um, I, I grew up on, uh, in L.A. as a Rams fan. Okay. So Rams leave for St. Louis 20 years ago, whatever it was. Then so you're I, just an orphan now. I'm an orphan, yeah. So I, I've seen this, and uh, I didn't really care about the Rams for, while they were in St. Louis. I'm kind of happy they're back in L.A., um, I think they can recapture the fan base because there's a generation that remembers them fondly, you know, right. back in the, the day with Lawrence McCutcheon and Harold Jackson. Right. And, you know, I mean, I remember those guys were awesome. But there's a connection. The Chargers spent one year in L.A. This makes no sense. 
And um, it's devastating for, for San Diego. I was going to say, what do you think? What is San Diego now without the Chargers? Uh, it's, well, it's. I mean, other than the nicest sad. place to live in America. Yeah, and I mean, a people, place that people nobody in San on. Diego. Yeah. yeah, people will move on. I, but I would say it's like Fight Club. Nobody from San Diego wants anybody else no. to even know about San no, Diego. No. I'm, I'm, I'm really naive with this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but in my mind, it's like, okay, if you can't get the stadium built, the city won't build it. How about just saying, okay, I'm going to sell a portion of the team to somebody who promises to build their own stadium and keep it in San Diego. Let's and then try I'll keep that. a piece. Yeah, right? I'll get the and majority I'll keep a piece. stake. Yeah. Now, and that's where I'm naive. There's a there's a, there's an ego thing that goes in with sports ownership. Yeah. And but to me, I think an owner owes it to the community to keep the team there at, at whatever cost. And if it means selling your majority share, keeping a minority share, you still get the suite. The problem is you don't get the camera shots. You don't get the ego right. stuff. And 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 that's what's a killer is I just feel like whether it's the Sonics or, or the Chargers, you know, some of, especially these teams that have such a rich history and tradition and a connection with the community, when they, you know, when they get ripped out of the community, it's just, it's brutal. Do I you worry that. about that happening at all with the Warriors when they leave Oakland? Because no, I know, no, it's um, twenty, it's twenty miles away or fifty 12 miles, miles, twelve miles. 12 miles. Yeah. I feel bad for the people of Oakland. Yeah. Um, but we're not leaving the Bay Area. Um, yeah, you're we down are the, the Bay Area's team. We yeah. really are. We get fans from all over the Bay. Um, I think it's a um, it's a necessary move to advance our organization. It's going to improve our, our standing. It's going to improve our revenue. Um, but we're still right here in the Bay. And, you know, I think you know to 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 go to a game if you're living in the East Bay, you just you know you get on the Bart and it's it's not that big a deal. So I don't equate this at all with a team you know, packing up and leaving. We're, we're still right here. Okay. And I may not be here by the, by the way. So who the hell cares? But. Well, you, you can owe it. You have the TV cushion. It's the best. You, you have like the less, the less amount of pressure, least amount of pressure of any coach. Cause you can immediately go, go back, back to be TV. an awesome TV person. You were great. Well, thanks. I really miss you on Thank games, you. but you realize it. that like Thank that you. was a big loss for basketball Thank fans. Thank you. I loved it. I had so much fun. I did eight years with Turner and, uh, then you had, had the fight with Marv and like, they yeah, covered that it up. All just fell apart from there. It was but, bad. Uh, <laughs> pushed him out of the car. <laughs> I love it. I mean, love especially it. like you would have been great these last two seasons. Cause the league is so much like you mentioned yesterday, the Cavs wizards, like, Every oh, night there's a great game. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. There's 28. Like Isaiah Thomas, what he's doing now in Boston. Amazing. It's Amazing not even a top 10 doing. story. And yeah. Every night he's getting 40. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's incredible. There's so, there's so much great talent in the league right now. And uh, yeah, but I, I love coaching. I really do. I want to coach for a long time. Good. And uh, I, hope I, I hope I'm able to, but I'm also well aware of uh, how the league works and things can change. But we have a great thing here. I, I love working with Bob Myers and Joe Lake. Been, we've got a really strong, stable organization. So hopefully we can, we can all be together for a when long do time. We, when do we see you start just putting your kids on the bench as assistant coaches? <laughs> That's the last stage for you, right? right? That's, uh, like, yeah. so you win three more titles, yeah. and then all of a sudden, I think there's Nick's, a, a, Nick's a, your lead assistant. Yeah, there's a three-title minimum to add a family member to the bench. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how it works. Steve Kerr, it was a pleasure. Thanks, I missed Bill. I missed doing these with you. I know. This yeah, is fun. Yeah, yeah, Enjoyed fun. it. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much to SeatGeek. Thanks to Vistaprint. Personalize your business cards and other marketing materials and get that professional look right now get 500 custom business cards for 999 999 999 which is a 50% savings 
over regular site pricing. Just visit vistaprint.com, design your custom business cards, and enter my code BS at checkout. That happens to be my initials. That's code BS to get 500 custom business cards for only $9.99. Go to vistaprint.com today. Don't forget about the Ringer NBA show. Things are heating up. Don't forget about the Ringer NFL show because we have Lombardi and Mays. They're going to do one giant nerdy breakdown of Super Bowl 51 this week. And the Ringer.com. Still plugging away. We love February. February is where it gets weird. Basketball heats up. Pop culture, Oscars, Grammys, spring training. WrestleMania is coming. Lots of good stuff. Check out the Ringer.com. Thanks so much to Steve Kern. Thanks so much for the Warriors for helping us set this up. And we'll be back to you on Friday with another BS podcast. Until then.